0: How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects.
1: Join us now for The Dr. Joe Show with your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Well,
2: welcome everybody tonight. This is Dr. Joe, and I. I just want to say, first, thank you, Jim Quine. You were fantastic. I really appreciate everything that you have done for me. But I have a new co-host to introduce today, Mark Stiles. Welcome, Mark.
0: Well, thank you, Dr. Joe.
2: You are so welcome. I'm so delighted to have you here. Mark and I were talking, and he said, am I meant to be like Ed McMahon? (laughs) Right? You know, which means I would be like
0: the great Johnny. But
2: no, you just have to be like you, right. Mark.
0: Well, we'll find out if I can add some value to your already uh, ridiculously popular show. Well, thank you so much. I have
2: no doubt that that added value right there. <laughs> so, we got we got some interesting
0: stuff to talk about uh, this week. Don't you think, Mark? I, mean, I think so. I'd like to talk about that singer that was just on the uh the intro there can we talk about that
2: let's talk about her so folks for those who don't know that voice that you heard singing the van gogh song uh, is sophie Schrand, and sophie Schrand happens to be my oldest child my oldest daughter and i would really like to direct folks to her brand new science comedy tv show called science with sophie and she just launched it Uh, yesterday was the first time Science with Sophie S-O-P-H-I-E please check it out where do we find that share it you know you you just put it into your search engine she's on YouTube YouTube and she is it's the future we talked about this last time we did it's the future platform we did and it's it's amazing so the show uh, it's on potholes love it right not pot
0: correct right
2: but potholes, folks, the I'm science you, behind potholes. The science Love behind it. potholes. Who knew that there was science? Right. Behind potholes. But Sophie talks about it. it's great. Please tune in science with Sophie, check her out, uh, and then um, like her, share her. I mean, do you know what next week episode is about? I, I do. What is it? I can't tell you. Come on. It's so cool. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. hope she won't mind. It's on Tears and snot. Ah, I think that's next week's show. Tears and snot. Yes, uh, these very (laughs) natural. The science behind tears and snot, right?
0: And the whole goal of uh, science with Sophie is to get more females involved in science. Is that the ultimate mission? That is the ultimate mission. Cool. Uh,
2: And she, Sophie, wants to be the female version of Bill Nye, but but in her own way. When Sophie was growing up, uh, she said the only female role model she had in science was Miss Frizzle. And she was a cartoon. Gotcha. So here we go. Science for Sophie.
0: Check Excellent. it out. Excellent.
2: You know, there's, there's another thing that, <coughs> that I, I do want to talk about tonight, folks. Just real briefly, before we bring in our special guest. Who is our special guest? Our special guest tonight is Andreas Martin who is a full professor of psychiatry at Yale. He is a remarkable fellow. He and I go way back. We've known each other really since 1993 when we were both child psychiatry fellows at Mass General McLean. And Andreas has been doing this amazing, amazing thing, trying to draw attention to the needs of children with psychiatric conditions. And you know what he's done? It's called Break the Cycle. Got it. And he's been riding his bicycle Across the United States, awesome. So excited that he's coming on, and I'm, I'm really, truly honored that he's doing this because he has to take a break from his break. This yeah,
0: cycle. oh, so he's actually in process yeah. right now riding his bicycle. He's Riding his bicycle. Oh, that's awesome! I you can't know? wait to talk to him. I mean, I wonder good. if he stopped at Wall Drug. along well, he, the way he, he
2: you know, <laughs> you, you can ask him. Yeah. You can ask him. It's it's something. So uh, that's going to be great. Uh, you know, something horrible has happened in our country. Yes. Uh, I think we just need to acknowledge uh, all the folks in Las Vegas who have been <clears throat> affected by this, all the folks in the United States across the world it's just um it's stunning
0: it is it's shocking it's shocking well, as a uh psychiatrist
2: yeah what do you
0: what, what, what do you think was going through the mind of that man prior to the events that led up to that well this this because I mean, it, all <laughs> indications are that he didn't have any past history I mean there was no criminal background certainly right whether we're going to find out about a psychiatric background or not I haven't <clears throat> excuse me I haven't seen anything on that yet
2: no and 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 uh, apparently um, there wasn't I mean the, the concern that I have is when I first you know Heard the breaking news, some of the the people who are reporting on it, you know, were saying that this man must be insane
0: well, from a lay person's perspective, myself being a layperson, my first thought is he has to be there's no no rationally minded person would do that, right
2: and so, that's the question that's really that's really the scared question, you know the stigma that we have against psychiatric condition yeah. is the unpredictability if you can't trust someone uh, then you don't want them in your community that's that's been the stigma we've been fighting and that's been part of the stigma of mental health calling it disorders but what if what if there there really is this dark side to human beings what if someone with no psychiatric condition just methodically plans to kill people.
0: So th- so for somebody like myself, that's, that's hard to get my head around because just the act of crossing that line of saying, okay, this is what I'm going to do tells me that something isn't completely rational in the mind, right? So if something is off there then there has to be some level of mental illness that contributes to the desire to do that or maybe not which is which is a frightening frightening conversation
2: and right and that's the part that, that is so terrifying it is uh, you know what if there there is no insanity in this but somebody for whatever reason decided that they were going to kill innocent people you know i i'm not sure whether we're going to really continue that discussion tonight but folks maybe next week this is something that we should really be looking at you know um, this this deep fear but this reality that there truly is a dark side to all of us it's very very scary it's a scary thing and you know what's even more sort of difficult to manage is even that's an I am this is the hardest part about the whole I am approach remember the idea that someone's doing the best they can how can someone be doing the best they can if they're on a floor in a hotel, raining bullets and death down on people, right. it's kind of scary. Kind of. Extremely scary. Extremely. But there's other stuff. You know, one of the things that you and I spoke about a couple of weeks ago was real estate. Yes. And I, I know it's like, well, what a non-sequit. How do we bring this in? Right. But, but Might as well bring it in, though. Let's bring it in, though, because this really is something that... that we want to talk about you know, Mark. We were toying with the idea of the real estate doctor, <laughs> um, which is you know perfectly applicable because you are. This is your area of well, I got a profession. doctorate
0: in uh, in law, so I guess I am a doctor technically. I don't know if I would be. Considered as the real estate doctor, but we'll see, right? I mean, what we are trying to do is to, to is to educate our clients and our referral partners on how to proceed with a real estate transaction, understanding the heightened level of anxiety that is involved in a transaction such as that. I've been uh, kicking around the idea of of copywriting the term uh, transaction itis, love because, it, because uh, what happens to people when they get involved in a in a transaction such as a real estate purchase or sale, it's a life altering moment where they have a lot of questions whether they're doing the right thing. And what you know, we talked about last week is that everybody brings in some level of anxiety from their history, mm-hmm. um, their upbringing and what they ha- bring to the table. But when you add this to the equation, it just ratchets it up. And then we talked briefly about how it can be contagious. So now you've got multiple people involved in a transaction with varying levels of anxiety and all of a sudden you've got this petri dish of chaos and what we've been trying to do is to talk to you know like our clients and our referral partners to understand this and to ease ease the process by way of of calming everybody's anxiety and trying to understand that we're in this together
2: and and, and from your experience so what what is that core Anxiety and stress. What do you, what do you think it is with all the experience? You sold what ten thousands of
0: yeah. Uh, a lot of it is just the unknown, the insecurity of it. This is how it's always been done, you know. So when I'm talking to a group of real estate professionals and saying that well, this is how it should be done, and they look at me and say, "Well, that's not how it's always been done," and I'm used mm. to following the herd, and we're going to fight zealously for our client for that last fifty dollars. Huh when in fact you're doing a disservice because now you've got an upset counterparty that you're trying to get to the final stages to the goal line of the closing and you have uh, and you realize that now you've created this unnecessary tension between the parties who don't even know each other yet. Over 50 bucks, could be, right. could, could be. be.
2: You know yeah. what, I am so excited. Uh, are you there, Dr. Martin?
0: I am,
1: calling in from Portland, Maine.
2: From Portland, Maine! So you made it. So you made it to Maine, oh, so can I call you Andreas? Or, or would you like Dr- uh, I, you know or oh, Dr. Martin, I think Dr. Martin is more.
1: Andreas would be fine, uh, should I address you as Dr. Joe?
2: Dr. Joe's lovely, I'll, I, I can call you Dr. Andreas. Just so folks Perfect. know. Dr. Andreas Martin is a full professor at Yale, an endowed professor at Yale University, which is a remarkable, remarkable accomplishment, has also been the editor of the journal of American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, also known as the Orange Journal, one of the premier child psychiatry journals in the world. Ten years the editor. I think you'd have you just stepped down as editor of that or where are things at with that?
1: I formally stepped down on December 31st, but for all intents and purposes, uh, pretty much close. Shop. Okay.
2: And, and and the contributions that you have made uh, to child and adolescent psychiatry uh, globally are, are incredible. But now, let's get right to the heart of this. Tell us about your current project. Tell us about Break the
1: Cycle. Happy to. Break the Cycle is a dream long in the planning in which I cycled from Seattle to Portland, Oregon, and then crossed over from Portland, Oregon to Portland, Maine, where I'm calling in from today, Wow. Uh, and I still have the last final leg of the trip going from Portland, Maine to Washington, D.C.
2: It's just one overall, leg? You've, you've only been using one leg uh, this whole time? <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry, I couldn't, couldn't resist. Andreas knows me well. So so go ahead, so, so you're going from Portland to Washington?
1: Yes, so uh, overall it will end up being 5,100 miles. Um, on the bike and so that's the bicycle angle and the idea of break the cycle is to bring awareness about children's mental illnesses the fact that they are real conditions that they are common conditions and most importantly that they are treatable and even preventable conditions Hmm. so it's to spread that awareness to fight stigma and as a secondary but also important goal is to raise funds to support the many missions that we have as a community of child psychiatry. So that, in a nutshell, is Break the Cycle.
2: That's terrific. And, and, and seeing as we're at the funds part, how, how can people contribute to this so that we can raise funds for this?
1: Well, fundraising would be lovely, uh, and people can go to our website, Break the Cycle, uh, and ACAP, A-A-C-A-P, which is American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. But, um I want to be clear that the fundraising aspect is not the main goal, and I hope that those folks who may be listening to your show, this is really not about the money. The money would be lovely, of course, but I think that it's much more important, the awareness, is through the radio waves, uh, we are able to spread the word that these are real conditions, and as I said, that there's a lot of hope. If we can help even one kid, one teenager out there through this, that would be wonderful. And hopefully through the reach of the radio waves, it may be more than one.
2: I hope so. Dr. Martin, what, what do you think the, the stigma really is about? Why, why is there a stigma about this?
1: Well, I, I'd like to think that the stigma is getting a little bit better, but we have a lot of room to go ahead. Years ago, uh, you and I are old enough to remember that the word cancer, the word AIDS, the word HIV uh, were not words that you could speak in public company. Now, of course, there are walkathons, there is pride in survivorship, in bringing care to these conditions, attention to these conditions. I think that we're gradually getting there with mental health. But as to the reasons to the stigma, I think that one of them is that these are, at the end of the day, mostly intangible conditions. You can't quite CAT scan -scan them or X-ray them. You can't quite see them. And when behavior is affected, it's all too easy for any one of us to say, well, they're making that up. If only they put more effort into it, they would get better, and so forth and so on. Uh, All of us are uh, prey to that kind of mindset until we see it, until we experience it in ourselves and our loved ones. And I think it's also very important for people who have been affected by these conditions to speak out. And to say, yes, I had such a condition, just like I may have had appendicitis or a bad tooth or a kidney problem, and I'm fine. And uh, between you and I and your many listeners, let me be the first one to say, Dr. Joe, I myself have been touched by these conditions, and my family has. Mm -hmm. But we're doing well. We're thriving. We're loving life. We have beaten... These conditions, just like we beat that nasty appendicitis that I was referring
2: to. See that 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 is the courage that I think people need, but it's unfortunate that they would need courage at all, because for for you to, for me to say, well, it takes courage to say that, and I and I so appreciate you you sharing that, Dr. Martin. Is that is part of the problem? Is people are still afraid that they will be judged, that this is somehow right. a moral issue, and you're a you're a bad person you should be doing better what's wrong with you you
1: know correct so and when it comes to youngsters even more so but i interrupted go ahead. no no no
2: no no i interrupted go ahead please you were going to say so so here we are with with the stigma people still are, are looking at others as if there's something wrong with yeah. them and moral
1: right Th- this is also maybe a good segue to say you know why this name of break the cycle um uh, when what we're doing is riding bicycles. So people might think that we want to break bicycles, when in fact we love bicycles. <laughs> but the, the idea of break the cycle is that these conditions, as I alluded to before, can be prevented, can be treated. And the key is to identify them, to get in there early, and to know that uh, we have our eye not only on the short term of helping this child, but we have our eye on the long game and that is that these conditions can go across families, across generations, and that when we help one kid today, we're helping that child, but we're helping a family unit. And the more that we do that, the more that we're gonna be able to break the cycle. But we can also break the cycle by bringing these children and families to the care that they need, by providing the funding that they need, by breaking the barriers in accessing care, by educating people who confront these illnesses, who, by the way, are not psychiatrists like you and are and me, but it's teachers, it's nurses, it's doctors, it's everyone. All of us are confronting these illnesses, whether we know it or not. And the more that we can identify them as such and bring them to attention, the better off we're going to be. No different from raising awareness about problems in hearing, problems in sight, problems in health. We just need to have this conversation and get in there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of data already, right, on the age at which certain conditions begin to emerge. Can you, is that part of what you're talking about with the prevention or the treatment how do we actually prevent these
1: things sure well we, we do know the age at which many conditions um, all of these conditions start and we can pick many examples but I'll, I'll pick one that I know is dear to your heart and that you have taught me so much about and that is one of the most prevalent conditions that we see and that is substance abuse now substance abuse is not just a disorder of adults we know that this is a disorder that starts hitting in the early teenage years that hits hard in the college and young adulthood years. And there is a great body of knowledge of what we can do to prevent these conditions. And they include not only education, but identifying underlying conditions, such as depression, such as anxiety, that children might be self-medicating against, if you will. We can prevent school absenteeism. We can prevent the losses in gainful employment across the life cycle. There are many things that we can do but i pick on the example of substance abuse for a number of reasons not only that you're an expert in them but i also think that substance abuse is one of those areas that is stigmatized within the stigma uh, and that doesn't get enough of the attention Mm -hmm. but just like i'm uh, picking on substance abuse now we could talk about any of the other conditions attention deficit disorder conduct disorder depression bipolar disorder schizophrenia Autism, the list goes on and on.
2: And, you know, one of my feelings is, you know, words are so important. I wonder if we call something a disorder, does that in some way contribute to the stigma? What do you think?
1: I think you're spot on, Dr. Joe. I I think you're spot on. I, I think that our language fails us in many ways. I'll be happy to share in the radio what I've shared with you, my friend. Yes. I have had a depression, four episodes of depression in my life, and I have no problem talking about that openly. However, if I were to say, have I had a serious mental disorder? I think that I would be a little bit more hesitant. Mm. Uh, And yet we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about tomato, tomato. But once you call it a serious mental disorder, it doesn't ring the same way. And I think that we as a field have some difficulty there. Take, Take the example of diabetes. We can talk about a child with diabetes or anyone with diabetes. Do we ever talk about them having a serious endocrine disorder? Mm. Of course not. It right. sounds even silly. And yet that is what we do with psychiatric illness. Yep. So our language, unfortunately, is failing us. And I wish I had a, a great easy solution for that one. Uh, and it goes back to this in that you know, hard-to-wrap-your-hands-around quality uh, about these conditions.
2: Right. But, but, you see, I think using the word condition is a way to destigmatize. Because a a condition, we we all have different conditions, but disorder lumps people into two groups, one that's ordered and one that isn't. And as soon as you have two groups, then you have the risk for alienation, stigmatization and for saying you stay away from my group because there's something wrong with you and I don't want you anywhere near me.
1: I agree completely and I would you know race your your bet or, or or go one step further in this way. When we think of a let's think about a very classic medical disorder hypertension. Okay. Very common disorder. Well when you get into the weeds of it it it's a reality that all of us have a blood pressure. Right. And yet the different The difference between those of us who have hypertension, and by the way, I have a mild case of hypertension, and those of us who don't, is a little bit arbitrary, and more than arbitrary, the word that I would use is on a continuum, Mm. and that I think is pivotal to what we're talking about. All of us have had depressed feelings at some point or another. All of us have been inattentive at some point or another. Many of us have had a drink or two at one point or another. The list goes on and on and on. Right. So, where we set the dial of what is normal, if you will, and what is not, is a little bit arbitrary and it has to do with impairment. When you have depressed feelings that start really putting a damper on your ability to function, I think that that's when we talk more about these, whatever the word is, clinical condition. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it is true. It is a spectrum. Everybody's felt sad. Everybody's felt worried about something. Some people have even distorted reality on occasion, you know, where where we yeah. think something's happened, but it really hasn't, and then we can come back to Earth. And I, I couldn't agree more that there is this spectrum. And on one end, though, something is so debilitating, it's interfering with the quality of your life. So Dr. Martin, I was chatting with Mark off air, but he, he had a couple of questions that he wanted to ask. Yeah,
0: doc- Dr. Martin, so I'm coming from the lay person's perspective, and I'm Really enthralled in your in the discussion of the childhood uh, illnesses that you speak, and you know I, I dare say illnesses at this point. But what I try to focus on in my world is is to be proactive and to um, get in front of certain things. So, you know, as I hear you speak, I, I'd like to understand better what ages these diagnoses, I guess was the right word, would be presenting themselves. So, you know, if we're talking about early teens are finding themselves in the substance abuse arena, how do we How do we spot some of the signs that we might be able to avoid that, you know, from early ages? Like when is anxiety presenting itself? When is the conduct starting to change?
1: Sure. And uh, thank you for the question. And we had a a, a very good uh, earlier discussion where we, um, you know, split hairs over disorder or condition, right. et cetera. But let, let's, let, let's leave that aside and call these uh, real disorders. We, we know that, for example, attention disorders, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder typically starts in the early school, late preschool year. So we're talking about, you know, your five to eight-year-old child, give or take. We know that mood disorders like major depression and anxiety start really peaking around the age of, 10 to 14, give or take. Those are a couple of examples. We know that disorders like schizophrenia typically hit a little bit later, maybe between 18 and 25 age range, and we could march through the various conditions. Now, going to substance abuse and what are, for example, some of the early signs, and I would expand it not just to substance abuse, but probably more relevant, what are the warning signs for psychiatric concern. And they are a diminishment in the functioning and the performance of a child. So what does that mean? A child who is consistently unhappy, isolated, not making friends, losing friends, who changes in the grades, for example, they're doing in school, whose appetite, sleep, uh, exercise patterns change. Any one of these in combination can be a telltale sign. Now, You might be wondering, well, that's a telltale sign for everything, you know. Maybe the child is ill. Well, it's surprising that so many of the presentations of medical conditions, a child who is chronically uh, sickly, uh, so many of those uh, presentations can really be harbingers of the psychiatric conditions. So a child who has frequent tummy aches and doesn't want to go to school, for example, I would worry less about doing a big workup about their intestines and think more about this child being nervous be anxious. Probably we're going to find more cases of uh, anxious and nervous kids that uh, kids having furious gastrointestinal problems. So, That's so, one example.
0: So what, what should parents be doing at the age of 8, 9 years old when they see warning signs like this?
1: Well, I think that the first thing is that they should follow their instincts as parents. I think that most Parents, our good parents, all of us parents have our bumps along the road and we're all learning, but most of us, most parents try to do right by our children. So that means being attentive, being involved, being engaged in their lives. This means being participatory in their school and after school activities. And if and when either they directly see that something is amiss or they hear reports that something is amiss, missing class, talking back to a teacher, feeling isolated, uh, unhappy, any of those things to bring it to the attention of someone. Now, who is a someone? Well, the someone can be the teacher. That could be a starting point. It can be the pediatrician. It can be anyone who really understands and knows the child. It doesn't mean necessarily go running and find a psychiatrist on day one. That is not where we're going here. We're talking about identifying early on talking to your care provider, and then there are a number of resources that can be through school, social work, for example, through a pediatrician. And then depending on where things go, there can be a series of referrals. But the the, more, the most important thing, as I say, is for parents to stick to their observation and engagement skills, and if they have this feeling that something is amiss, to not worry alone and yeah. to ask others for help.
2: And that's key, not worrying. Low. One, one of the things that I like to say to parents is you're the expert in your kid. I'm just a professional, but you are the expert. But the most important person in this is the kid. And so kids, you know, at first they may be very reluctant, I think, to say anything. But, you know, when they realize that you're someone that they can trust, that they won't be judged, that they will, you know, be valued?
1: Yeah. I, I think that the way that I see the, the work before us is that the vast majority of the times, it is the parents, the family, the caregivers who are part of the solution right? more than part of the problem. Can they be part of the problem? Sure. But we can help a lot in... Seeing that they are overwhelmingly part of the solution. There, of course, are cases where parents uh, have done things that are wrong. You know, we could talk about abuse and neglect and some other things. But by and large, parents want to do what's right by their children. Yeah. Um,
0: but then, um, it, then, then it comes back to, to the awareness full circle again, right? So <clears throat> if the parents aren't really understanding the psychology of what's going on, they're not going to even know. To, right. that there's warning signs or that they should be seeking help they just think right. it's normal child development
1: right or, or they may be feeling guilty that they are doing something wrong or that they're not right. doing something and rather than getting caught up in that circle I would encourage them to say hmm maybe I need some tweaking here I need some extra tools my child is throwing me a curveball that I don't quite know how to deal with but there are folks out there who can help me yeah and uh, Parenting is a teamwork.
0: So we Sports. so we get on a bicycle and we let the world know, right? That's right.
2: Can, can you That's tell right. us some of your adventures? I mean, what's this sure. been like going across country on a bicycle?
1: Well, let me tell you two adventures. I'll tell you okay, uh, one from today and one from earlier. I, I guess the one from earlier is that it is magnificent to go across this beautiful land on a bicycle. Huh. The speed is just right. The landscape is incredible. You can see, smell, touch, get to know so many people. So... There are countless stories to tell there, but suffice it to say that I uh, loved every minute of it, even when it was hard. But the adventure that I want to tell you from today, because I think it's very relevant to what we're talking about, I had the great fortune, through complete serendipity, of ending at this beautiful program here in Portland, Maine. It's called the Community Bicycle Center. And let me just use them as an example of how things can be done so right and through a bicycle. So it turns out that this is a non-profit organization in which kids come after hours and they tinker with bikes. And they learn how to fix a bike, how to soup up a bike, how to get a bike to work for themselves. And there are plenty of adults who know a lot about bikes who are there teaching them this and that. And it was just spectacular to see 20 kids who didn't have to be there, but were so hungry to be there to learn, to get the mentorship of additional adult. These kids have wonderful families, but they have working families. And like all of us, we can not be with our kids all the time. But what a gift to be able to have a caring adult teaching you these skills. And there was this beautiful metaphor that I saw of a bike and a wheel and a tool Learning so many things about life, hmm. uh, the mechanics of a bike, the fun of riding a bike, the business of how to sell and buy a bike, all of that done under the watchful care of adults. So, it's a big shout out to Community Bicycle Center here in Portland. But that's just one example of how we can prevent outcomes. Now, outcomes of uh, you know mental health outcomes. Hmm. Do they see themselves as a prevention of psychiatric illnesses outfit? Not at all, but in some ways, in many ways, that's what they're doing. And that's what every hardworking teacher and nurse and anyone who comes into contact with kids and lends a helping hand, a listening ear, teaches them something in a not-judgmental way. It was really beautiful, and it was an extraordinary way of ending my Portland to Portland uh, leg of the trip.
2: That's an incredible metaphor and story, and doesn't it come down to the same simple thing uh, this is what I believe, that all, all we want is to feel valued by somebody else. And I really think that that's, that's what we get to do, and it sounds like that's what was happening there. Here are these kids being taught how to do something productive, constructive, and then they, they can walk away going, hey, I did something really cool today, and there were people there to help me. Right, It's incredible. I, I can only imagine how exhausted you must be. How, how were you writing today?
1: No, today was one of my four rest days. So wait, I, wait, uh, wait,
2: wait, wait, wait. Let me let me understand that. Four rest days
1: out of and uh, when did you start this? I started August seventeenth of Memory Serves in Seattle, Washington.
2: August seventeenth, and you've only had four
0: rest
1: days. What is yes. that?
0: So how many miles per day are you averaging when
1: you do that? So an average of one hundred miles a day. Wow. Oh my goodness! Wow. A little more, less, yeah. Wow! Tomorrow morning, I have a, a long ride from uh, beautiful Portland, Maine, into beautiful Boston, Massachusetts.
2: But at least it's downhill. <laughs> <laughs>
1: downhill yeah. that's funny.
2: So you're coming into Boston tomorrow? Yes.
1: Oh, that's so and exciting! It's especially exciting that I'm going to be meeting with my family, who I have not seen in almost fifty days. Oh, so I'm very excited about that.
2: Oh, that must. I don't know how you. I don't know how you do that because. I have the fortune of knowing how close you are with your family. So that must have been so difficult. Yeah, They have
1: been very supportive. Once again, it takes a family, right? right. That's right. That's right. Another example.
0: And a lot of preparation. How have you figured out where to stay every time? Is that all mapped out? Did you get AAA to give you a, a route?
1: Well, not quite AAA, but there are professional bicycling <laughs> uh, communities that put out uh, maps and where to stay. And it's but yes, the logistics have been rather intense, and it needs to be done to a T. But uh, fortunately, everything bad. has been good.
2: Uh, and had, were you on your own? Did you have traveling companions? I mean,
1: no, I I, I I've never been on my own. That's okay. yet another metaphor to what we're talking about. Not true. Um, You know, we these things take a group. So I've always been, uh, I've had the fortune of riding with folks on the West Coast. There was a group of some 15 colleagues in child psychiatry. The big road from Portland to Portland was done through a professional cycling company. So there were twenty other riders, several of whom rode for different charities and interests of their own. I was one of them. And from Portland down to DC, I will again be joined by uh, colleagues in child psychiatry. We're gonna have some 10 people riding down to DC and once we get to Maryland I think the the group is going to row quite a bit
2: and, and why down to DC
1: Yeah, good question. So let me start with why Seattle. Okay. The reason for Seattle is that the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, that is a professional organization that I belong to and that represents almost 9,000 child and adolescent psychiatrists around the country. This organization is the steward for the monies that we are raising. It has done a fantastic job in spreading the word, giving the tools to families and providers, and just doing countless things to help kids just as we have been talking the academy has an annual meeting And next year, the meeting is going to be in Seattle. And this year, just two and a half weeks from now, the annual meeting is going to be in Washington, D.C. So I knew that I wanted to put those two spots together, Seattle and Washington, D.C. And Washington, of course, has two additional components. One is that the academy's headquarters are based in uh, D.C. But of course, the nation's capital is in D.C. And for me, that is very important. I should also add that I'm not a uh, native. I'm a naturalized citizen. I hail from Mexico, and I've been a citizen now for close to 20 years, but I'm uh, deeply patriotic, and I love this country, and uh, once I did this big trip, I knew that I wanted to end at uh, the heart of the nation.
2: Hmm. And just in full disclosure, I also am a not uh, natural. I'm, I'm a citizen of the United States since, the I think, the early 2000s or so, but i was born in cape town south africa and this for for me this is what this country is really all about is it is a welcoming country absorbing where where people can can be together and that's part of what we're talking about is why have a country that segregates one group from another that includes people who have psychiatric conditions right let's bring them let's bring them all in You know, nobody needs to be doing this alone. We're all in this together. And just like you said earlier, Dr. Martin, you know, never worry alone. It's one of the most important rules. Never worry alone. I I want to know about the next adventure. Let me hear the next adventure,
1: please. Uh, Well, the next adventure is 700 uh, miles towards D.C., so that's the immediate next adventure.
2: Okay. But, but Uh, But didn't you say you were going to tell us that you had two adventures? You told us that the one about today... And then there was another something going on uh, in over the last, since August.
1: Oh, yeah. What I had meant is that there are so many. So I, I summarized okay. but the, the country itself was an adventure, but there are many oh, okay. to pick from if you want one, yep. um, uh, another adventure. Uh, there are so many. But, you know, there are some states that I had never been to, and getting to know those states was remarkable. I'll just, you know, pick... Uh, Three states that I fell in love with out of so many Idaho, Wyoming, and South Dakota. These are three breathtakingly beautiful countries, states. They felt like a country, they were so big and uh, lush. Uh, But three beautiful, gorgeous states that I had never been to. And, you know, as you talk about divisiveness, I should uh, note that these are three very red states, as you know. And yet, whether I was in a red state or a blue state made no difference. You know, We are one people, and uh, whether red or blue, the worries that we have about our children were the same. And this is a time, as you know, of political turmoil and divisiveness, and it was very inspiring and very energizing to see that no matter what the differences are, that we are all committed to the well-being of our children and the next generation. And to see that uh, against the backdrop of the grandeur of uh, these and so many other states was just breathtaking. Yeah. I picked on those three states, but uh, I should note that I went, uh, by the end of this trip, I will have gone through 22 states. Wow,
2: that's incredible, incredible. You know, we have a few minutes left, but I, I know there was another subject that that Mark had been talking about with me a little earlier. It had to do with what was it, the helicopter parents yeah. and and certain things because I don't know if you know but you Mark was doing flag football right, right. yeah and really started started
0: that whole flag football thing here Locally, in Marshfield
2: yeah, yeah. so there were some things that that were on your mind
0: yeah doc, Dr Martin so one of the things that the experiments that we've been trying to um, do with the program is the adolescent age the sixth seventh and eighth grade program we've tried to institute a no coaching uh, methodology where the kids are out there on their own and um, it's it's with mixed reviews that the kids seem to love it but yet ironically enough some of the parents feel as though there's not enough adult involvement to it and um, I I find it uh, truly just amazing how uh, how the parents don't see the benefit of allowing the kids to to fail to get up, dust off, and try again. And with your expertise, I'm wondering if there's something to the, the hovering and the helicoptering of parents now that adds to a level of anxiety that these kids are experiencing on a day-to-day basis. Yeah,
1: you know, as you say that, the first thing that comes to mind is, a, is an image or a memory of when I started riding a bicycle. So your world is through flag football. My world is through bicycles. But I think that we've all ridden a bicycle, and, and what I'm going to is that memory of the first time that I remember my father pushing me and holding me uh, and my saying, don't let go, don't let go, don't right. let go. Huh. And when I turned back and I didn't hear my father, lo and behold, he had let go uh, many minutes ago, huh. and here I was on two wheels for the first time, and that incredible feeling that I've become... I may use the word "addicted to" uh, in the best possible way. So that image comes to mind that we as parents need to let our children fail—maybe too hard a to word, maybe undercase fail—but you know, the, scrap their knees, fall um, uh, within reason. We need to be holding them just ever so gently, but we can't be holding on to that bicycle so much that they never learn how to propel on their own. And I think that we can adjust that metaphor in so many ways. We need to be present. We need to let children have roots, but we need to let them fly. We need to let them, um, whether it is uh, play football with their own rules a little bit, whether it's pedaling without being supported, whether it is going off to college, or to school without breathing on their neck all the time this is part of uh, the sweet spot of parenting that we need to let parents be comfortable with if they hover by the way they don't do it because they're cruel hoverers. right they do it because they adore their children uh, and we need to let them know that it's okay that it's okay and that they're gonna be okay
2: yeah I, I mean I, I think that's such a A a wonderful image for us to close on, this idea that there you were saying to your dad, you know, protect me. And your dad had enough faith and confidence in you. push you out of the nest. To say, you know what, you're at a point where I know that you can ride this bike, that you are balanced, that you are prepared, and that you are wearing your helmet and you're riding you know, it's a wonderful metaphor. Dr. Martin, we, we are just about out of time. I just want to thank you so much for for the gift of your time and for the gift that you are doing riding across the country, bringing attention to folks. Tremendous. Thank you so much, Dr. Martin. Everybody, good night. It's a Dr. Joe show. We'll, we'll see you next week. Good night, all. Good night. Bye.